Amen. Let us turn to our confessional reading, page 235 in the Smaller Forms and Prayers book. It is also in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal. We'll be looking at Lord's Day 31. We'll read together question and answer 83, 84, and 85. Beginning with question 83 on page 235. I'll read the question. Let us together say the answers. Question 83. What are the keys of the kingdom? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and Christian discipline toward repentance. Both of them open the kingdom of heaven to believers and close it to unbelievers. Then question 84. How does preaching the Holy Gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers, each and every one, that as often as they accept the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that, as long as they do not repent, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. Question 85. How is the kingdom of heaven closed and opened by Christian discipline? According to the command of Christ, those who, though called Christians, profess unchristian teachings or live unchristian lives and who, after repeated personal and loving admonitions, refuse to abandon their errors and evil ways, and who, after being reported to the church, that is, to those ordained by the church for that purpose, fail to respond also to the church's admonitions, such persons the church excludes from the Christian community by withholding the sacraments from them, and God also excludes them from the kingdom of Christ." Such persons, when promising and demonstrating genuine reform, are received again as members of Christ and of his church. Let us turn then to the very word of God, Leviticus chapter 18. Page 235 in the Bibles. Under the seats, Leviticus chapter 18. Page 
And uh, for context, I will also read the first five verses. And then we'll jump to verse 24, and we're going to focus on verses 24 to 30. Just for a little context, I'll read verses 18, verses 1 to 5 now. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And then going to our text, verses 24 to 30. Leviticus chapter 18, beginning at verse 24. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean so that I pushed its iniquity, uh, that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you, for the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nations, the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make your unself unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read in Hebrews 4 verse 12 that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Today, in our increasingly paganized but still many church-going people nation, there are many who say that they like the Bible, who say that they believe in God, but the Bible that they hold is no double-edged sword. Many teachings, many passages are completely ignored, and they attempt to turn the Bible into only an open door. There is a desire to make the Christian religion just a nice get-together with some, but not too many morals and a whole lot of upbeat songs. Perhaps you noticed Psalm 101a. It's intentionally not the most upbeat tune because not every part of singing that psalm together is, is an upbeat part to sing. 
So we do not sing everything in an upbeat way, nor do we only sing upbeat ya-ya words. No, the, the Psalms are God's songbook for his people, and the word of God from Genesis to Revelation is all the word of God for his people, and we need to take all of it and see the double-edged sword that it is. To pretend that it is only an open door, well, to use the big words, that's just moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's moralistic because there's still some right and wrong that we want to hold on to. It's therapeutic because we just focus on open doors and nice things. And it's deism because we still say that we believe in God. To use the picture words, it's taking the word of God, which is a double-edged sword, and trying to turn it into a fluffy teddy bear. It's what J.I. Packer once called Santa Claus theology. This is what we are surrounded by. This is the leaning, if not the full direction, of so many churches in our nation. There are two edges. God uses his word to work salvation, to cut off the sins of his people. To show us that we are sinners saved by him. And God uses his word to teach plainly that there is a cutting off of anyone who remains unrepentant and living in sin. It is sharp and it is two-edged. And so our theme tonight is simply this. Hear the double-edged word of God and our two points, they're, they're going to overlap a little bit, but we're going to focus in the first point upon God's closing. And then we're going to focus as we move to our second half, to our second point, we're going to focus on God's opening. Well, we begin with this, God's closing. The phrase cut off, we see it in verse 29 of our text in Leviticus 18. This phrase, it's used dozens of times in the Old Testament with reference to someone being cut off from the covenant nation of Israel. It's used dozens of times in, in that context, cut off from the people. Sometimes, a few times, like in Exodus 31 verse 14, it is parallel with the death penalty. And so in Exodus 31, verse 14, speaking about laws for honoring the Sabbath day, the phrase, he shall be cut off from among his people, is parallel with, shall be put to death. And Calvin and many others have said that whenever we see this phrase, it's speaking about the death penalty. But in the other texts, there is debate. Does it sometimes mean that they are banished 
That may be where Leviticus 18 is taking us. That may be how Leviticus 18 is using it. Certainly that picture of being vomited out, it's a picture that makes us think of someone being banished from the land. Brothers and sisters, if we think on a national scale, certainly both of these things were true in the exile. When God's patience ran out with a nation of Israel and the judgment came plainly down upon them, Some were cut off by the sword and put to death. Others were cut off from the land and lived in slavery but were banished from the promised land. Again and again and again, God speaks about those who are cut off from the people. It is abundantly clear that this is language of judgment. And God has always worked this way. This goes back not just to the nation of Israel, but this kind of picture of God's judgment. It, and even some of the language of this text, it reminds us going all the way back to Adam and Eve. And if we think about death and banishment as two parts of being cut off, well, what happened to Adam and Eve? Well, God was merciful. God did not put them to death immediately as God could have. God was patient with them. They lived for many centuries after that. But they were brought towards death. To dust they would now return. And they were banished. They were completely removed from Eden. And they were they were banished from the very good creation and and that they they threw the whole creation into chaos. They were vomited out of Eden and the death penalty was placed upon them. And so this is this has always been how how God deals with sinners. There is always a warning, there is always a consequence. Now brothers and sisters looking at Leviticus Leviticus 18 What are some of the specific sins that would lead to one being cut off from the people of God? There's a number of sexual sins listed, including adultery in verse 20, including homosexuality in verse 22. There's also uh, sacrifices to Molech, which are mentioned in verse 21. And now, brothers and sisters, we step back and we say, what does the New Testament church called to. Now we see a time when the common abominable sexual practices of the Canaanites are becoming the common ways of our nation. We haven't fallen yet into verse 23, but the other things here, including sacrifices to Molech, which are now offerings at abortion clinics, And so we see a list even of abominable sins and we say this is what surrounds us. And both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, although the church is no longer the church and the state, though the church no longer takes out the death penalty, that's no longer ever part of it, and there's there's some difference, yes, there's some distinction, but this basic continuity that there are sins and when there is no repentance these are these are sins that 
what are these sins? These are these are sins that that people would live in, right? This is a this is a lifestyle. This is something which is visible not only to God but to man when it is discovered. And sexual sins are discovered. And so we read it in that context. And brothers and sisters, the line of application from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it is it is quite a straight line here. We are to see abominable practices and when there is no repentance, there is to be a cutting off from the people. Indeed, if we think about the closing, cutting off language of our text, the language comes in the New Testament as well. There's, there's two phrases for closing in Leviticus 18 in our text. There's the language of being vomited out of the land, and then there's the language of being cut off from the people. We see both of these in the New Testament. Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, as uh, we have the letters to the seven churches and the, the word of, of Christ uh, through his angel to these churches. And in Revelation 3, verse 16, Christ says to the church in Laodicea, So, because you are lukewarm, so we know that when we speak about judgment, we're not just speaking about abominable sins listed in Leviticus 18. There's many, many other things, many, many other forms of sin as well. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. A little bit different than saying vomited out, but it is the same basic picture of judgment. Or what about the language of being cut off? We have that language in the New Testament as well. Brothers and sisters, at this point, let's just pause and look at our catechism and see we are, we are very closely following question 83, question 84. What's the second half of question answer 84? The kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. Where is the language of cut off in the New Testament? Turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And in Romans chapter 11, we read about those who have rejected the Messiah. So they have been broken off because of their unbelief. And then we also read about Gentile converts or Gentile professing believers who then become arrogant. And the Apostle Paul warns warns you must not be arrogant, otherwise you too will be broken off. So it is clear that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament there are realities of cutting, realities of closing, even as it is so plain here that there should never be arrogance 
Verse 18, do not be arrogant toward the branches. And so when we, when we think about these biblical Old Testament, New Testament terms, when we think about this confessional language of opening and closing and, and even how it's used in the confessions in a special way in question and answer 85 with relation to church discipline, as we think of these words, our attitude in thinking of these words should never be arrogance. Rather, there should always be a hope and there should always be a goal. What's that key those, those two key words that describe Christian discipline in question and answer 83, Christian discipline toward repentance. So the attitude is never arrogance. It's never that we're glad that doors are closed. Never, 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 never may these be the attitude associated with these things. No, indeed, when there is, when there is arrogance, then one stands in danger of being broken off, cut off themselves. No, rather, the attitude should be desiring towards repentance, desiring life, desiring that those who have been cut off would be grafted back in. And so we read now uh, Romans chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off by what is nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And so it is so plain that that there is a desire to, to see a return and that when there is not a return, the Apostle Paul says this so plainly in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 21, when there is not a return, what is his attitude? Speaking in 2 Corinthians 12 about the context of, of many who are under church discipline, who have not yet repented, what is the attitude of the apostle when he talks about them? He grieves. He grieves. So these are important words for us to consider our attitude when we think about these Truths in this language, which is Old Testament language, New Testament language, faithfully confessional language. There's closing, there is opening. Let us note both Romans 11:22, the kindness and the severity of God. Well, now, brothers and sisters, let's come to. God's opening, and we're going we're to focus more on the opening now in the second half of our sermon. One of the places where, but we're also going to think about these things, we're going to continue to think about these things together, and one of the places where we see opening and closing together, sometimes in the same breath, is the Psalms. We see this language again and again in the Psalms, language of opening, language of closing, we sang from Psalm 101 together. We sang of closing. 
I'll cut off evildoers from the city of the Lord. We sang language of opening from that same psalm. I see the faithful in the land and they shall dwell with me. In our text, we might say in Leviticus 18, there's more of a focus on closing. But even as we look at Leviticus 18, 24-30, let's remember the, the very context of all of this is the, is the context of grace and deliverance. It's the law which is given to the people as they come into the promised land. And the language of closing is, is a language of warning. It's God's word. Do not do these things so that you won't be vomited out. Certainly, uh, we do not have to read far in either direction of Leviticus to come to explicit words of life and promise and deliverance. Not too long ago, some of you were here for Leviticus 16 as we considered the Day of Atonement, the declarations of promise and forgiveness. And then, every time we see LORD in all caps, it's language of the self-existent, faithful covenant God that is the name of the Lord who is like no other. We see that name in verse 30 even as we see that name hundreds and hundreds and hundreds more than a thousand times as we read through the Old Testament. And so even in a passage like Leviticus 18 we do not have to think far before we think of language of deliverance. Again, the, the Day of Atonement is just a couple of chapters before that. And we think about the Day of Atonement. We think about God's covenant faithfulness. We think about the land and that God wants the people to have the land. All of these things take us to where opening and closing meet together in the most powerful way. And that is in the person Jesus Christ. I'm going to read... Remember Leviticus 18. You will be cut off from the land if you continue in sin. It's a warning. I don't want you to be cut off from the land. I'm bringing you into the land. So as we focus on land and language of cut off and and how Leviticus 18, there's, there's both opening and closing there, even though we might think of closing first when we read that. Think of... Think of these terms and these truths and the and the reality of the land. And now hear these prophetic words of our Savior Jesus Christ as spoken by the prophet Isaiah in that great prophecy of Isaiah 53. And there we read of the suffering Messiah in Isaiah 53, verse 8, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Brothers and sisters, what is a cross? And what happens when one is nailed up on a cross?
You are nailed up on the cross so that you will die of suffocation because you can't stand on the ground. You can't stand on the land. You are cut off from the land. You are cut off from the foundation of your steps. And you die of suffocation. And so when we think of being cut off from the land, as we think of cut off, and as we think of being brought in, where does all of this meet together? It all meets together at the cross where Christ is literally and figuratively cut off from the land so that trusting in Him, we are not cut off from the land, but rather our sins are cut off and we are set free and we are placed even into the eternal promised land and into God's presence. We must take the closing and the cutting seriously. Because we can only rightly understand the gospel when we start with the fact that Christ was cut off for us. Why is salvation open? Because he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was cut off from the land of the living. And so when we think about the opening of the kingdom it's all in the proclamation of Jesus Christ and what His merit has done. What His work on the cross where He was cut off for us and what that accomplishes. The first half of question and answer 84. The kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring that all believers, each and every one, that as often as they accept the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. It is absolutely critical for us to understand the gospel itself to be thinking about both closing and opening. Because the opening is this. Christ took the closing for us. And so, thinking about opening and closing together, it's two truths which must both be declared. Let's, let's come towards our conclusion by, by listing three of the dangers that we must guard against as a church. First, we must guard against the danger of forgetting that Christ was cut off for me personally. 
We must guard against the danger of of failing to see this 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 reality in 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 the gospel. He is my savior and my only savior. When when this is forgotten, when Christ's work of being cut off so that our sins could be cut off, when this is forgotten, at its worst, it's it's the danger of it's the danger of the Pharisee in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's the danger of of coming to God and forgetting what Christ had to do for us. Second, we must guard against the danger of neglecting the good news of the open door of salvation. And in this current day and age, I'm going to call this the overreaction danger. Because there is there is a temptation living in a nation where the two edges of the sword of of the word when we live in a place that is forgetting that we we might live in danger of then saying well we believe in the whole counsel of god and since so many people neglect or overlook or or barely speak of the fact that there's judgment and that there's closing now we're going to go the other way and and we're going to we're going to balance that out and we're just going to talk all about judgment and all about closing that's an that's an overreaction danger at its worst this is this is the danger of of the prideful judgmental church that says look we're the only church that's faithful enough to ever speak about closing and and judgment but then the third danger is the mirror image of the second danger we must guard against the danger to be like the world coming back to Leviticus 18 as a whole repeated twice in Leviticus 18 verse 3 you shall not do as they do and church discipline and the reality of the closing door of judgment on all those who do not repent that is difficult work and painful work it's painful as a church family it's painful for elders who take who take a lead but again it's the whole church is involved brothers and sisters so pray for your elders and pray that as a church we would not do as they do we would not forsake work because it's grievous and difficult and sad. The people of God, God's New Testament churches, we should be welcoming. And I praise the Lord when when visitors, sometimes visitors kind of report whether it's like an email or or a spoken word to 
to the minister. And I praise the Lord when I hear you have such a welcoming church. May we be welcoming, hospitable. May we have open doors. And may we preach of the door of salvation which is open because Christ took the closing for us. Let's not only speak about the opening. Let's, Let's see the opening and the closing. Let's see the full force of the Word of God. The double-edged sword which pierces the heart. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, there is judgment for all who deny you. There is.